Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Turn to Joshua chapter 5. Now I want you to look at the title here. Notice what it says. It doesn't say getting ready for battle. It says getting ready for victory. There is a difference between those two places. And while it's true, we have to also prepare for the battle. The battle belongs to the Lord, so in him every battle is actually a victory. Amen? That is the position that we now find Joshua and the children of Israel. They are preparing for victory. And I pray that tonight you are preparing for the victories that God wants in your life. He asks us to do that in a very special way. And that is by drawing near to him. That's not relying on our own strength, our own abilities, our own history, our, our own, in essence, experience in the things that God has done in us, to us, and through us. It's by resting and trusting in who he is and believing him for the battle truly belongs to the Lord. And so as we pick up here in chapter 5, would you join me in prayer? Let's give tonight to the Lord and ask him to speak to us as his people. Father, we thank you. I thank you. Lord, we come before you. And as Joshua meets you, Lord, in the midst of this very difficult time, that the army of the Lord of hosts would greet us here tonight. Lord, we ask you to defend us in the heavenlies and to lay waste to the enemy as he comes against us. God, would you work on our behalf in everything that you desire to do in this world and in our lives individually. Lord, as we corporately seek your face and your favor, would you meet us here tonight? Speak to us in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Let's set the stage a little bit. The nation now has crossed over the River Jordan. They're on the western bank. They're, they're preparing to go to battle in Jericho. The Canaanites, we're going to find tonight, are already afraid. They have just witnessed, if you can imagine for a moment, the Jordan River Valley, this fairly wide valley at that point, some 13 miles across. Jericho is on the slight upslope as you're heading towards Jerusalem to the west. It's an elevated position. It is a fortified city. And those that are inside, the Canaanites that are there, are looking out and they see this mass of humanity, perhaps as many as a million or more people, that have now watched the flood stage of the River Jordan dry up, they cross over, and now this whole army of Israelites is a couple of miles away and they stop. The people inside of Jericho have witnessed all of this. There is no explanation, but there's someone who's with that group of people that is not with them inside of Jericho. As you imagine this, they're demoralized. They're thinking from a human standpoint that this would be a perfect time to seize the moment. 
Your flesh in this moment, if you're Israel, if you're Joshua leading the children of Israel, you're probably thinking to yourself, well, let's just go finish the job right now. But I want you to notice what Joshua does. The story here in chapter 5 is so essential for your victories in the Lord. Because your flesh is going to tell you to run ahead of God. Your, your flesh is going to cry out to be satisfied with yesterday's manna. Your flesh will dictate to you that you should, in that moment that you think it's appropriate, act according to your own will and to not wait on the Lord. But remember what your Bible tells us, that they that wait upon the Lord shall be renewed in strength. It is they that mount up with wings like eagles. It is they that run and do not grow weary. It is they that are being prepared for victory. That is the picture here in chapter 5. It would be easy for Joshua to say, look, we're strong, we're mighty, the people are on this spiritual high, we've just crossed the river, let's just go. But that was not God's plan. And though he was a mighty military ruler, and certainly, I'm sure, at this point in time, had a battle plan, Joshua is going to do what every good leader should do, and that is to never run ahead of the Lord. To wait for God to speak. The victory actually was God's. The victory was not going to be Israel's. The victory was not going to be Joshua's. The victory was God's. And God always demands that God's people do God's things, God's way to see God's victory. There is no other way in the kingdom of God. What is God's must be done God's way. And it is for God's glory. And so here we have verse 1, Joshua chapter 5. We'll take the whole chapter, just 15 verses tonight. Tremendous lesson on how we can be prepared for the victories that God wants for us. And so it was, verse 1, when all the kings of the Amorites, who were on the west side of the Jordan, all the kings of the Canaanites, who were by the sea. Now imagine there's about 30 miles between the river Jordan and the coast of the Mediterranean. That's the port city of Jaffa. Jerusalem lies about 25 miles inland, so it's only really as the crow flies just a scant seven or eight miles to the outskirts of Jerusalem as the crow flies. And so here are these groups of people that have inhabited this region. Remember, the Israelites were supposed to be here 40 years earlier. And in that intervening 40 years, the Canaanites have grown stronger. The Ammonites have grown stronger. The Moabites have grown stronger. The Hittites have grown stronger. The Jebusites have grown stronger. All of the Ites had grown stronger. Okay? There is a tremendous group of people that are already in the land. Far superior in weaponry. They have fortified cities. Some of those cities stand to this day. The city of Dan in northern Israel is a Canaanite city that parts of it still exist. We visit it when we're in Israel. The kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan 
from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over, that their heart melted. And that's a picture of them having knocking knees and chicken skin. There's a serious problem. They realize that something has happened with this group of people that's just crossed over. It's very obvious that whoever they are with is superior to whom the Canaanites have been standing with. And there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. And at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, now please underline that. That means two things. Number one, that God was speaking. Number two, that Joshua was listening. You want a secret to spiritual warfare in your life, you need to be listening for the voice of the Lord. And when he speaks, you need to do what he says. If you want victory, you need to listen to the voice of the Lord. And whatever God says, do it. Now, can I tell you that at times that's not going to make any sense to you? God may ask you to do things that make absolutely zero sense. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't use wisdom. He does. I'm not saying God doesn't use prudence. He does. I'm not saying God doesn't use planning. He does. But what I am saying is God doesn't need our human wisdom. He doesn't need our human prudence. He doesn't need our human planning. He doesn't need our human possessions. He doesn't need our human power. What he needs is for us to listen to him. That's what he needs. Because if we're listening and he speaks and we do it, if we are doers of the word, not hearers only, if we haven't deceived ourselves, we are setting ourselves up for victory. Don't miss the truth that's buried here. Now notice what he tells them to do. This is one of the weirdest passages of Scripture found in the Old Testament. Because on one hand, if you first glance it, it's like, you got to be kidding me. God is, God is not going to tell them to do that. Of all the things that God could tell the children of Israel to do, Joshua... Make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again a second time. It's like, say what? Huh? Come again? You want, are, we're going to battle, Lord. But you see, there's something that's missing from this equation that unless you think about it for a moment, you're not going to understand. The children of Israel had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years in disobedience. They had left the covenant of the Lord. They had been wandering essentially in their flesh. They were no longer a holy people, and they were certainly not set apart to God. And so that group of people that crossed over had not remembered the covenant that God made with Abraham. And consequently, every male was not circumcised, which was, as weird as you may find it, the thing that differentiated them between the heathens in the land and the people of God. Church, we are supposed to be different than the people in the land. 
There is supposed to be a marked difference between God's people and people who don't know the Lord. And at this moment in time, there was no difference. They had been led in faith, but they were not walking in faith. They were simply led in faith. And where this touches you is I can teach you, Pastor Chet can teach you all day, all night, every day, but it's up to you to walk in faith. I cannot walk in faith for you. I can lead you in faith. I can teach you what faith looks like. I pray that I do that reasonably well, but I cannot make you, nor can I do for you, that walk of faith. That's on you. That's where this touches the children of Israel. Because it makes zero sense, in a practical sense, to disable the army that's about to attack Jericho. Because as simple as that operation might seem, you're not going to be running around in battle after that is done to you with a flint knife. Okay? We'll leave it there. Verse 3. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of foreskins. I was going to say something. I'm leaving that one alone too. I think it was okay, but I'm going to leave it alone. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. So here it comes. All the people who came out of Egypt, who were males, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they'd come out of Egypt. And so we are told the situation after God speaks the truth to Joshua. For all the people who had come out had been circumcised. But the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked for 40 years in the wilderness until all the people who were men of war who had come out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. There is the issue. You could almost say it really has nothing to do with circumcision itself. It has everything to do with not following the Lord. Not being people of faith. Not having that faith expressed in a real and tangible way so that the world can see it. Because they did not obey the, face of the, the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us a land flowing with milk and honey. And so God had made a promise, but that promise, you see there are conditional promises in the Bible and there are unconditional promises in the Bible. You've been promised the grace of God through the forgiveness of the cross of Christ if you will believe. That is unconditional. It's not conditioned on you doing anything. The grace of God is placed in your life because you have believed on the only begotten Son. But the promise to the children of Israel was conditioned on obedience. It was conditioned on faith. If you will be my people, I will be your God. They had ceased being his people. 
They were walking in rebellion. They were in sin. They had actually made a golden calf. While Moses is getting the Ten Commandments, Aaron's down at the bottom of the mountain leading a party. It's like, woo! Come on, Moses is gone. That's pot day. They're kind of shaking it a little bit. All the women are bringing their jewelry. They throw it into the fire. And Aaron has the unmitigated gall to say, well, we didn't make the golden calf. It just came out of the fire. Uh Uh-huh. No, they've been walking in rebellion to God. And they were now paying that price. And for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness in rebellion. God's promise was still yes and amen. But God's promise was still conditioned on their obedience. And if they wanted a do-over, hear me well, if you want God to bless you, you need to be obedient. If you want the promises of God, you need to keep the commandments of God. God will universally be good to people who are not good to him because he is providentially good. But if you want his very best, That is conditional on you giving him your best. The children of Israel said, hey, we're good. We'll kind of do our own thing. But you bless us anyway, God. And God said, "Mm, no, sorry, that's not working for me. Y'all need to wander around out there for about 40 years. And then we'll try it again with the next generation. Don't let your family be an example of that. Fathers, listen to me well. You are to lead your families in righteousness so that they do not walk in the wilderness for 40 years. Moms, you are to raise your children in the training, the admonition of the Lord so that your children do not walk in the wilderness for 40 years. That is conditional. It's on you to be a doer of the word. Don't be surprised if you are disobedient that you don't also find yourself wandering in the wilderness. If you want to wander into the promised land, then you wander in in obedience to the Lord. And then Joshua circumcised their sons, whom he raised up in their place. For they were uncircumcised, for they had not been circumcised on the way. Israel's a covenant nation. And God gave them this sign. It was just simply a sign of obedience. There was nothing special about it. It was a spiritual sign. You could almost say that you can see that it was a spiritual sign because in essence it would be meaningless physically. In other words, who cares? Why would I even want to know that about anybody? But the fact of the matter is, for the Jewish people, it was a big deal. Because it made them different. It set them apart. When we use the term sanctified, or saint, or sanctification, it simply means to be set apart. It implies holiness. In other words, that was a sign of their inward sanctification. 
It was something God was doing on the inside of them that they simply marked themselves and said, Yes, Lord. I agree with you. I need to be different. Yes, Lord. I need to live my life so that people know I'm yours. Yes, Lord. Whatever you say, I will do. Truth of the matter is, we have a tough time obeying God sometimes, don't we? You can say yes, or amen, or uh uh-huh, or just shake your head. Because we do. We do. Why? Because God asks us to be different than the world. And that's not easy. It comes at a price. may cost you your job. It may cost you a friendship. It may cost you a relationship. Maybe that person whom you would love, that you think you would love to marry, is going to look at that and go, you know, I'm just not in on this Jesus thing. Sorry. But there is nothing that you will give up for Christ that isn't worth the price. Nothing. Nothing. So this was kind of a small thing. They were supposed to be a holy nation. They were supposed to be pure in their marriages. They were supposed to not worship the foreign gods. They were not supposed to be immoral like the people in the land were. And so God disciplined them and said, hey, I'm not going to make you follow me. People often ask me, you know, why does God allow evil? And let me give you the very shortest answer I can. God allows evil because if your choice is actually real, there must be really be something to choose. If God just put you in an environment and made you be good, then you didn't have anything to believe in. So when the Bible says, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're simply forced to be one of the elect, then you have not believed at all. God just simply made you into what you are. And because he wants love, With you, love must, by its very definition, be volitional. It has to be what you want. And so God gave them an opportunity to do what they want. And they made bad choices. And it said to God, well, we really don't love you all that much. Beware that your choices speak volumes about how much you love God. It may not be the reason you're saved. You're not saved because you don't do certain sins. You're saved by the blood of the Lamb. But if you are saved, then your choices should tell people that you're saved. That's the picture here. They should have made the choice to be circumcised because they were still God's covenant people, even though, because of their own disobedience, they were wandering in the wilderness. But they chose to say, no, we're not going to do that. Don't let that be you, church. We can see the spiritual significance of this. Actually, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16, Therefore circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. In other words, God actually told them, Look, this is a physical thing that I want you to do to your male children. However, that's really not what it's about. It's because you're stubborn and you're stiff-necked. And I want you to be obedient. 
And in fact, this is so physically meaningless that the very fact that you would do it is a sign that your heart's good. Because realistically, it doesn't matter. But it mattered because it was a sign of obedience to the Lord. It's the same thing when you sin. Other people may not see it, but God does. Nobody is wandering around, hey, are you circumcised? (laughs) Nobody saw it, but they could say, yes, I am one of God's people. And if called upon, they could prove it. Would your actions prove who you are in Christ? Would what you do speak volumes to who your Lord is? Or would it speak against who you declare your Lord to be? The Jews came to trust in that external mark. But their God was not the God of the covenant. And you can see this through the New Testament, especially in the Gospels. When Jesus confronts the Pharisees, they were all about what? Outward appearance. Well, you know, I didn't carry a burden. That's why Jesus said, look, here, here's the problem. I don't really care about that. You, you tithe of your mint and your cumin, but you have neglected the weightier things of the law. Justice. Mercy. Why don't you take the log out of your own eye before you try and remove the speck out of your brother's eye. You see, the issue is what's in here, not what was done down there. Super important, church. And here's how it touches you. Because you can fool people with what's out here. You can wander around. Oh, hallelujah, brother! Praise the Lord, sister. You can buy the nicest Bible ever. But when people look at it and can tell it's never been opened, it's kind of a dead giveaway. And where it's really a dead giveaway is when not one thing comes out of your life that has anything to do with Jesus. You see, you can fool people Initially with perception. But you can never fool them with your character. Your character will come out. And it will either bear witness that you are sanctified or you are not sanctified. So they're going to be taken back a little bit. They weren't allowed to sin with impunity. They couldn't keep doing things their own way. Moses had actually warned them about this very thing. Let me just say to you, there is no way around your faith being put on display, your faith being tested. Your faith will always be tested. Notice verse 8. So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp until they were healed. You think that was a test? They're two miles from the fortified city of Jericho. They are now completely incapacitated. 
They could not have fought a war if they wanted to. It just simply would have been physically impossible for them to mount any type of defense, even of the people. That was a huge test of faith. They had just made themselves sitting ducks for the Canaanites. Because I guarantee you, they didn't have Advil. Nobody was getting propofol. They, they, they weren't, you know, it's like, oh, I feel fine. You know, there wasn't any of that. They were moaning, groaning, crying out. These were adult men. And you can imagine. Hey, what's that? Well, it sounds like every guy in the whole army is crying. They had made themselves vulnerable. They were willing by faith to make themselves vulnerable so that their faith could be tested. Are you willing by faith tonight to make yourself vulnerable so your faith can be tested? Because God wants to test your faith. You may not like that, but he does. God loves testing your faith. Why? Because when he sees it perfected, it leaves you lacking nothing. You remember what Jesus prayed for the disciples? You would have thought he would have prayed for them to be delivered from the battle that they were about to go into. But what did Jesus pray for the disciples when he was in Jerusalem? More faith. Amen? He didn't pray, make them stronger, make them taller, give them greater weapons. Increase their faith. Make them strong in faith. After we've experienced these victories of faith, God often permits our faith to then right away be tested. What had happened to them? They'd just crossed the river. You think they might have been a little lifted up with spiritual pride? Possibly. Anybody see that? They're on the other side of the river. The river dries up as soon as the Ark of the Covenant, as soon as the priest's sandals hit the water, they go out in the middle, they stand in the middle with the Ark of the Covenant, the water stays back. A million or more people walk across on dry land. The moment the priests reach the other side, the waters begin to flow again. You think they might have been a little lifted up with spiritual pride at that moment. It's like, yeah, we were just out there in the river. God dried it up for us. It was awesome. It's because we are spiritual giants. That's kind of how we act sometimes when God does some great thing, right? You know, like you go on a retreat and God speaks to you, which retreats are awesome, by the way. And I love the fact that we go and God speaks to us. But you come back down and like, God spoke to me. And it's like, you think that for the next year you're invincible. It's like, well, God spoke to me. God gave me a word. I can't tell you how many people come to me. Well, God gave me a word. Yeah. When was that? Well, it was like eight years ago. Has God given you a word today? Have you heard the voice of the Lord today? Is God at work in your life right now? Because you can't live on yesterday's manna. And you can't live on the removal of the flood in your life 
that happened yesterday. You're going to be in the battle today. You're going to be in the river today. You're going to cross the sea today. Today is a new day. And the devil's saying, hmm, I'll just get him today. God wants you to walk in victory, so you need to trust him each day by faith. Every day is a new day in faith. Don't forget that. Otherwise, you will be like they were. This is a perfect opportunity for the enemy to wipe them out. And it took faith for them to stay put. It's a sign for us to beware of pride. Verse 9, then the Lord said to Joshua, the Lord said to Joshua, the Lord said to Joshua. Again, God's speaking to Joshua. Joshua's listening. How's your prayer life tonight? When was the last time you heard the voice of the Lord? How's your prayer life tonight? When was the last time you heard the voice of the Lord? Could it be that you haven't heard the voice of the Lord because you haven't been talking to the Lord? When was the last time you heard the voice of the Lord? It's only been a handful of verses. Joshua's hearing the voice of the Lord again. He's continually listening to the voice of God. And God is continually speaking to him. Church, make that your habit. Be so in tune with the things of the Lord that you know the voice of the Lord versus the voice of the world. Because the world wants to speak to you too. And you know what? The world will yell at you. It will scream at you. It will offer you all kinds of things to bait you into dumb decisions. And then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And therefore... The name of this place shall be called Gilgal to this day. Gilgal is actually from the Hebrew root word of galal, which means the reproach. In this case, the reproach of Egypt. And some people, have, I've heard all kinds of fanciful things about what this means. But let me tell you what I believe it means, and I think I can prove it to you. It means that they would now have the reproach of 40 years of wandering in the wilderness taken away. Do you think that was a little bit of an, an annoyance to them? Because remember, it was not all of them that went to the border at Kadesh Barnea. Remember as they did that, as, as you saw all the, the people, you get to the border and you have Joshua and Caleb and 10 other spies. And the whole of the children of Israel were deemed unfaithful because of who they followed. This is the same people who were delivered miraculously across the Red Sea. But now they're wandering in a wasteland. When you look at this area of the world today, when you travel in Israel down to the port city of Elat on the Red Sea, you have the Sinai Peninsula if you're facing the sea on your right and you have the wilderness of sin on your left. And you don't want to be in either place. There's no plants. It's one of the hottest places on earth year-round. It's a sand and rock barren desert. 
And it was just to the south of that that they had crossed over. They've been wandering for 40 years. If you've ever seen the Star Wars movies, which I'm sure most of you have, most of the desert scenes were filmed in Wadi Musa. That's in Jordan. All that sand, real place. Children of Israel wandered out there for 40 years because they were disobedient. Same people that God delivered from the most powerful empire on earth, the Egyptians. God deals with our pride. God deals with our pride. God doesn't want us to wander in unbelief. He wants us to walk in belief. But he also wants us to be faithful to him. On one hand, you have the sinlessness that's possible because of who we are in Christ. And on the other hand, there's you and me. These two things are supposed to agree. I'm supposed to agree with God. And I'm supposed to live my life in as much sinlessness as I possibly can. Not sinfulness, sinlessness. But sometimes in this world, you start wandering around, it's just like, well, it kind of looks really nice over there. In biblical times, sheepfolds were generally piles of sticks, thorn bushes, and rocks. And so the sheep could actually see through. It's not like things that we have today, concrete buildings, and you enclose the animals and they can't see out. The sheep could walk up to the bushes and kind of go, Meh. that looks really nice over there. Kind of green. And that's really you. The Lord's trying to keep you in the sheepfold. He's protecting you for a reason. You maybe don't like where you're at. But he's got you there for a purpose, but you're looking going, meh, meh. And then some sheep out there goes, meh. Before you know it, you're talking to each other. It's like, we're going to kind of do a little meh party. Going to get out there. Why am I acting like this? Because it is pride and arrogance that says we're immune to that. We're by nature discontented of heart. And we have to work at being content. You can be in the sheepfold and be protected and have everything you need and still look outside and say, I don't have that. That's why one of the Ten Commandments is don't cover your neighbor's goods. Your neighbor's donkey, your neighbor's wife. And those are not the same, by the way. Some guy told me that. He just, oh, is he calling the wife? A, no, it's actually donkey and wife. They'd been baptized before. They'd gone across before. They'd been delivered before. They were standing in righteousness. But when they got there, they said, hey, we don't really like that. We want to be somewhere else. Don't let that be you. So they were crossing over again. The truth is, by substitution, we're, we're delivered from the penalty of sin. And by identification from the power of sin. 
And the same thing was true for them. They had been substituted in that those who died in the wilderness took care of the debt. They're now able to enter in. But they had to identify with Christ. They had to identify with God. They had to say yes to this thing. This crazy act of mass circumcision. They had to be identified with the Lord. God, in the same way, if you want to cross over into the promised land, you have to be both identified with the Lord and also substituted for by the Lord. You have to accept his substitutionary death, his atonement. You have to say, I can't do it myself. I was lost. I would have died in the wilderness, but God. It's the story of the book of Ephesians, isn't it? But God, who is rich in mercy. Church, God wants us to stay crossed over. God wants us to, to stay where he wants us to be. And in that sense, what we really have is Christ being the cardiologist here. The heart doctor. The cardiothoracic surgeon. He's working on the heart, if you will. God says, look, I, I need your hearts changed. The physical surgery can't do that for you. There's something that's supposed to be happening right now to you that isn't a physical operation. We have experienced that kind of spiritual surgery when we say yes to Jesus. For them, it was just a sign. It was like the whole body needed to submit to that the mind, the spirit, the soul, all of it had to go along for the ride. But you see, they were just wanting to do the physical act and then thinking that everything else could stay the same. You cannot walk as a child of God in sin any longer. That's what Paul said, amen? Heaven forbid that the child of God would walk any longer in sin. Why? Because it's against your new nature. You had surgery. Your heart was operated on. He gave you a new heart. And that new heart has new direction and new thoughts, a new way of thinking and being. And so church, we can't add to the works of God's grace, but we can submit to the works of God's grace. I can't add anything to my salvation. But I can certainly say I had heart surgery. You see, if you go in to see your cardiologist, your cardi cardiologist says, you know, Jeff, you, your cholesterol is a little off. They're going to give you probably Crestor or something like that, some type of statin drug to lower your cholesterol so that you are less likely to have any type of arterial problem that would cause a heart attack. Now, you would be a complete moron. I don't like using that word, but it fits. You would be very, very foolish to go visit your cardiologist, your cardiologist says, you know, Crestor is not going to help you. You've got what we call the widow maker. You, you've got a whole bunch of arteries. You've got some stuff that's got to be fixed. We need to go in and surgically take care of that. And you go in and submit to that bypass surgery. And then you go back to pounding back the six packs of bacon. That would be kind of dumb, wouldn't it? Why? You had heart surgery to save your life. 
You do not want to go back to what caused it in the first place. And in the same way, a believer who's been delivered from sin and death should not go back to the very thing that you've been delivered from. Jesus did that heart surgery. He gave you a new heart. He gave you new desires. Ephesians 4, 2 Corinthians 5. He's done these things inside of you so that you can now walk with him in this glorious new life. You're supposed to be putting off the old man and putting on the new. You don't go back to the old you. You fully become the new you. And so Gilgal became that place. That was that spot that they could say, this is where the Lord took care of our heart surgery. Don't ever forget the Lord's goodness in your life. And now the children of Israel, verse 10, had camped at Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. They were literally within sight of Jericho. And they ate of the produce of the land on the day after Passover, the unleavened bread, parched grain, and on the very same day, and then the manna ceased on the day after They had eaten the produce of the land. The children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate of the food of the land of Canaan that year. Do you see how special that is? The moment they submitted to heart surgery, their lives were transformed. They began to reap the harvest of righteousness, and they did not need God to feed them any longer miraculously. They were able to receive the blessing of the promised land because they had been obedient. Don't ever let anybody tell you that you can do whatever you want with your life. If you are a child of God, your life actually is not yours any longer. It belongs to Christ. The life that you now live, you live in him. He has bought and paid for you with the blood of Jesus. And so you now live a life that shows that you've had that operation. And the result of that is God's blessing. The result is God's blessing. God blesses those always has who bless him. There's no shortcut to that. And so here are the children of Israel. This was the time of the, the winter harvest. They're gleaning in the fields. There's still grain. They have not seen a harvest in 40 years. And they're walking through the fields picking barley and they're making grain and bread and they now can celebrate Passover. You think they got to celebrate Passover with manna? No, they did not because they could not prove that it was unleavened. They hadn't had Passover in 40 years. They hadn't been able to celebrate what God had done because they walked in disobedience. Don't walk in disobedience so that you do not celebrate what God has done in your life. Powerful, powerful spiritual principles here. If you walk in disobedience, you will not be able to celebrate your new life in Christ. 
They ate of the food of the promised land. A better way to look at that passage. What God had promised them, God now had given them. And all they had to do was just simply be obedient. Notice how there's no military might that's in view here. There's no strategy and planning, at least that we can see. I'm sure there was some. That's how good your God is. God blesses those who bless him. Would to God that we had died in the land of Egypt was what they said in Exodus chapter 16. Because it was there that we sat by the flesh pots, the pots of meat. When we ate bread to the full, imagine 40 years of thinking about those pots of meat. And now God was delivering them by his own strong hand. Don't look back and desire the things of Egypt, church. As I've shared with you many times, the things of Egypt, the easiest way for you to understand them is just substitute world, the things of the world, the things of the enemy. When you see Egypt, just think of the world. Don't desire the things of the world because they weren't as great as you remember them to be. All the stuff that you think back on, it's like if you really think for a good long time about it from God's perspective, it wasn't all that glorious. The enemy wants you to believe it was better. But actually it was bondage. It wasn't better. It was bondage. That's what they had in Egypt. They had bondage. They were slaves. They made mud bricks without straw. Nothing good about it. Your flesh can desire very, very ridiculous things at times. Oh, I just want a pot of meat. Look, I I like meat. But I'm not giving up Jesus for meat. There's nothing this world has to offer us that isn't more than made up for with our new life in Christ. Verse 13, we see the reaffirmation of the Lord's presence. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or our adversaries? Are you clear about who your Lord is? Joshua was clear about who his Lord is. Are you willing to question anything that comes into your life to see whether it's of the Lord or not? Joshua did. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for a Lord for are you for us or our adversaries? And so he said, notice if you have a New King James Bible that he has capitalized his reason for that. Because this is one of the Christophanies in the Old Testament, an appearance of Christ, pre-incarnate. No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have come now. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped. 
And he said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And then the commander of the Lord's armies said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Notice what's happened. Obedience brought the presence of the Lord to the children of Israel. They had been wandering around with a tabernacle, but the presence of the Lord really was just in the tabernacle, and now it's meeting with people. The Lord is talking to Joshua. He's with Joshua. Joshua stood firm. He stood fast. He he wouldn't be budged. He wouldn't be moved. He wouldn't be dissuaded from asking the right questions. Are you able to be persuaded to ask the wrong questions because of circumstances and situations? A lot of Christians get in trouble, not because they don't have the power to withstand, but they ask the wrong questions. They don't ask the simple ones. Are you for the Lord or not? You know where I see this a lot? Dating relationships. I can't tell you how many couples I've had. Well, you know, we we knew it wasn't right. Neither one of us were walking with the Lord. But they both professed to be Christians. But their relationship wasn't asking the right questions. Would the Lord have us do this? Would the Lord have us be this way? Are you the commander of the Lord's army? Are you with us in this dating relationship? Because if you ask that question, God's going to answer it. God's going to answer it, and he will answer it quickly. God wants you to know his will. But you've got to ask the right questions. Well, Lord, could you just change his heart? I know he wants to be a Christian. No, if he's an unbeliever, he's an unbeliever, ladies. He's not an almost sort of Christian. He's not a Christian in waiting. He's an unbeliever. And you're not to be unequally yoked to an unbeliever. So if you want to ask the right question, Lord, should I be dating this guy who's not a Christian? You know what God's going to tell you? Uh Uh-uh. Nope. Now, you can take him to church and you can try and win him to Jesus, but until that happens, you need to be really careful to guard your heart because you might just fall in love with somebody that you don't share eternity with. Make sure you ask the right questions. Affirm the Lord's presence in everything that you do, in every way that you walk. Jacob the schemer became a wrestler with God to bring him to submission. There were three Hebrew men who had a companion in the furnace. God is there. God is speaking. God wants to talk to you. But you've got to ask the right questions. The problem is sometimes we don't want to hear what God has to say. And so we don't ask the right questions. 
There's a loneliness to walking in holiness. There's a loneliness to leadership. There's a certain amount of time that you're going to live on this earth that it's going to be just you and Jesus. It's okay. It's the way he intends it. Because he wants it to be just you and Jesus. Not all day, every day. But when it's just you and Jesus, you're walking in victory. When it's just you and Jesus, you're walking in victory. But if you've got another Lord, you're not walking in victory. You're not laying hold of that for which the Lord has laid hold of you, as the Apostle Paul says. There are some divine steps that we can take here as we close up tonight. First, be grounded in humble worship of God. That's what they had missed in the wilderness. They were whining and complaining and grumbling and doing everything but staying grounded in worshiping God. They were all over the map. If step one is is good, then step two will happen. You'll have a walk that's a walk of holiness. You, You will be more sanctified day by day. You're going to become more like Jesus. And a third thing, once all that happens, it's wash, rinse, and repeat. You're going to have to do some of these things again. Your faith is going to get tested. And so don't be surprised when your faith gets tested. You know how I know that? What happened to Jesus after he got baptized? Anybody know? Right after he got baptized, the Holy Spirit descends from heaven. What happened to Jesus? He was tested in the wilderness. Amen? So don't you think that if something great's happened in your life, like it just did for the children of Israel in this story, that there's a pretty good possibility that you might get tested right after that? If it happened to Jesus, pretty good chance it's going to happen to you. It's going to happen to me. Joshua met the Lord. And when he met the Lord, he discovered that the Lord's army was already there. Think about it. When he meets this, what he thinks is an angel or something, standing there with a sword, he doesn't know who that is. And then God tells him, he says, well, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Are you walking that way today? When you go home tonight, do you realize that standing beside your bed is the commander of the Lord's army? And when you wake up in the morning, the commander of the Lord's army is with you. That implies something. The commander is able to command the army. Amen? So if the commander of the Lord's army is with God's people and you are one of God's people, then the commander of the Lord's army who is with you is able to command the army of the Lord to fight the battle for you. What does that guarantee? Victory. Where did we start? Preparing for victory, not preparing for battle so much. Preparing to receive what God wants for us. He wants you to walk in victory. He wants me to walk in victory.
But we have to submit to what he wants and be faithful to do what he says. Amen? Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Father, we come tonight and we confess our weakness, God. We, we ask that you would speak into our lives faith. Lord, help us to ask the right questions. Lord, help us to not avoid the real issues, to cry out to you, to be bold that we aren't already walking in some areas of victory in our lives. Lord, there are places where the battle is still raging and we haven't declared that we're in Canaan yet. And so, Lord, we ask that you would move in our lives to increase our faith, that we would see you in every moment of every day, that we would seize the opportunities that we have for your kingdom, that you would use us for your glory. Lord, help us to be like Joshua, firm and strong, bold, unwavering in our faith. Lord, help us to be that army together, collectively, that can go into any situation and repel the fiery darts of the wicked one with the shields of faith that we would put over each each one of our heads. God, we're so grateful for your word that is sharp, Lies between joint and marrow and soul and spirit. Help us to walk in it, Lord. Thank you for the victory that we already have. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.